This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for the statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to Executive Leaders Radio. In this hour, you'll hear directly from our region's finest business leaders. Through each of the interviews, these high-achieving leaders become relatable role models who share how they were able to build their enterprise, their personal secrets of success, about leadership styles and opportunities that lie ahead. Prepare to be inspired and entertained and to hear wisdom unheard elsewhere. Executive Leaders Radio. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. With my co-hosts, including John Yetman, Association for Enterprise Growth, Joe Applebaum, Potomac Companies, Andrew Howard, Howard Insurance, Hank Boyer, Boyer Management, Wendy Kessel, CFO Restart, and Tom McBride, Cressa. And Andrew, can you please give us a rundown of who we have on the air today? First, we'll be joined by Michael Aiken, President of Lynx Strategic Partners, followed by Adrian Rich, Managing Principal of Simple Technology Solutions. Then we'll speak with Monsignor John Ensler, President and CEO of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Washington. Last, we'll speak to Scott Harvard, CEO of First Bank, Virginia. Excellent. Let's get to know our first guest, who is Michael Aiken, President of Link Strategic Partners. Mike, what is Link Strategic Partners? We're a communications and community engagement uh, consulting firm. Hmm. Uh, and tell me a little bit about how many brothers and sisters do you have? One younger sister. All right. What was going on with you, 8 to 14? My parents had started an, an archery shop when I was growing up. And then after my parents got divorced, my mom became a housekeeper and a janitor and lots of other stuff to keep the family moving. Uh-huh. And uh, what, what did that have to do with you, your mom being a housekeeper and a janitor? I think immediately I learned that all work has value and that whatever the job is, if you do it to the best of your ability, it's a way to make a living and move your family forward. So I think my work ethic comes from that. Did you ever give your mom a hand playing housekeeper and janitor? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't playing when we were doing it for a living. But yes, we absolutely did that. Um, you know, the one person can only clean so many houses at restaurants. So if you add in two other kids to the mix, you can clean a lot more. So we were out there often helping her. With well, that. how did that feel? That must have that must have been pretty rotten. Your friends are outside playing, and you're cleaning houses and playing janitor. I, I think for us, it was a way of keeping the family literally fed and clothed and moving forward. So there was a bit of urgency and necessity that came from it that um, that we leaned into. And yeah, it wasn't fun, but it it was needed. Uh -huh. How's that? How's that affecting your building? This thing called the Link Strategic Partners. At my company, there's a rule that there's no job above or below anyone. And I think that directly comes from scrubbing toilets with my mom. Mm -hmm. Just wanted to make sure I understood. Wendy? So you were saying earlier that there's a connection between doing well and doing good. Mm -hmm. What does that really mean to you? I think we often set up this false choice that you have to you know, make no money and serve, or you can make a lot of money and your community comes second. And I, I, I don't agree with that. So if you can do well and do good at the same time, we can build more sustainable models. And that's what that's I try awesome. and do. And how do you use your connection to people in order to further your mission? If, if this, you know, last few months have taught us anything, it's that we're deeply connected at every level, individually, as communities, as nations, as a world. So the more we can connect people across platforms, the better I think we're all going to make out. Hank? Sounds like you learned a lot from mom. Who were the other mentors growing up that you had? 
Yeah, yeah. So, you know, my, my dad started a small business and just seeing the grind that it took to be an entrepreneur before I knew what that word meant is something that was inspiring to me. My mom clearly gave me the work ethic that I have today. And I think I, I was inspired by the community leaders that I saw. In addition to cleaning houses, I worked in restaurants and I worked on a local farm and kind of the adults that took a risk on a kid and put them to work. I'll always look at them as, as mentors and guideposts in my life. So ages eight to 12, you were juggling three jobs. What does that have to do with what you do today? I have very little patience for people who say there's not time to do impactful things. I think there's always time. It's how we choose to use it. Mm -hmm. Andrew? Michael, you uh, self-described, uh, played sports a little bit, uh, but you, uh, you mentioned you wore a suit to school. You were involved in a lot of things uh, from a leadership perspective. Tell me about this Jefferson County something or other. Yeah, I played sports well enough to never play them again and talk for a living now. So what I did was, was I was the kid who wore the collared shirt and the suit to school. I was the youth rep on the Jefferson County Teen Pregnancy Prevention Commission. And it really taught me the power of having a voice at the table that's representative and really asking folks who have some life experience about their experience instead of projecting it onto them. Why did you do that? What, what made you do that? I thought it was a, a pretty neat thing to be asked to come and serve as a representative of a larger group of people. So it's kind of daunting to represent all youth, but to have that perspective at a table of really important adults, I think was something that, that you know, I grew from and hopefully we added some value. Didn't that make you nervous standing in front of all those adults and supposedly representing other kids? Yeah, it absolutely did. But I think it also builds um, a healthy sense of self-confidence um, that you need to be a CEO and executive and someone who's out there every day trying to make the right decisions. Oh, just wanted to make sure I understood. John? Michael, what does success mean to you? Uh, success means to, to me is is building a team that can all do well together. So at Link, our youngest employee is 16. Our oldest is 92. We're 50-50 male-female. We're 68% people of color. I think building a team that represents the communities we serve in a way that everyone can do well and good is, is success to me and being a good dad. And how about of that team, what is something that you've done collectively that you're most proud of? We have our 92-year-old team member on our Zoom calls every day, and I think that's, that's some success <laughs> in this moment. I, I think, uh, you know, finding a way to collaborate across age groups, demographics, life experiences makes us a better team and, and frankly, makes us better in service to our clients. Michael, it seems that you're a rather connected soul. Am I, am I correct about that? Do you really feel a deep connection with others, let alone the community? Where's that coming uh, from? Where's that coming yeah. from? No, I think, you know, when, when we were growing up and, and working and cleaning and that, the community really wrapped around our family, whether it was our faith community, the service community, the nonprofit community, they were there for us. And I think seeing that interconnectedness just carries through to everything we do today. Tell me more about that. What do you mean? If, if you, if we've got this sense that every man is for himself and the way you get ahead is by doing it your own way. And I understand that, but it's just not my life experience. We have to be there for each other to move forward and we move, you know, better and faster together than we do on our own. And, and I'm trying to live that value as a CEO and as a father and, and in the business that I'm running. When you've come across um, a business that's having some issues, have you ever done pro bono work? We do about 35% of all our work every year as pro bono. That's gone up dramatically um, and in kind of the post-COVID world. A lot of our hospitality clients that can't pay us anymore and need us now more than ever. So we just converted them all immediately to pro bono clients. Why do you do that? Why do you do that stuff for free? 
um, it, it's not necessarily in my mind for free. Um, we're going to get through this. And when we do, we'll remember the connections that we made. I also think instead of spending a ton of money on marketing, you can just spend a ton of money doing the right thing and let that be your marketing. So I think there's a way to make this mutually beneficial. How young were you when you began just getting through stuff? What, where does that come from in your childhood? <laughs> uh, my parents divorced, I think, when I was 11 or 12. And when you're the man left in the household, take care of your mom, you become that mama's boy. And so I think some of that sense of responsibility comes from that period. Um, so it, it probably woke up in my mind around then. Wait, 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 wait. Um, so your mom and dad got divorced when you were 11 or something like that or 12. And you felt that you had to step up to the plate. Is that what I heard you say? Yeah, yeah, you, you know, there's, there, 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 there's a need when there's a vacuum. And in that, in that vacuum, um, I, it was my job as, as kind of the, the man in the family at 11 or 12 to step up and make sure that I could provide what was needed. And that was being there for my mom and my sister in the same way they were there for me. But I think that's when it clicked in my mind that my responsibility went beyond me. Did, did you, somebody, somebody explicitly tell you that you were to step up or did you sort of assume that? I think it was an assumption. You kind of look around and see what's going on and feel, feel the need that you see in that moment. What's that have to do with what you do nowadays? I think if we look around at where the issues are, um, it's no secret what needs support and what needs work. So if we kind of see what that is and then figure out what we can do in our own specific way, we don't all have to solve everything. That's impossible. But if we all solve the piece that we see and can do something about, that, that works really well. And, you know, I saw my dad do that as a small business owner. I saw my mom do that as a single parent. And now I see our communities trying to figure that out every day. Hank? So it's a lot about family and community. Give me the names and ages of your children. I have one uh, child, little boy. He will turn two in just a couple of months. And what has he taught you about being a successful leader? Um, he has taught me perspective. I still work as much as I did before, but I do it around his schedule now to make sure that my number one job is being there for him. I became a better leader and manager and delegator when I stepped away to take paternity leave when he was born. My team stepped up when I stepped back, and that's a great leadership lesson. Hmm. So you really learn, you, you know that you can depend on people, you know that you can trust people, so you must be dependable and trustworthy. Yeah, I would hope so. And I also know that sometimes people let you down, but that's not a reason not to keep trusting people, right? If we, if we go out there scared that people are going to let us down, we're not going to get anywhere. So let's move forward and trust that most of the time we're going to get it right. And when we don't, people have lots of complexity in their lives and we have to give them a little space. To Michael, what's the uh, website address of Link Strategic Partners? Linkstrategicpartners.com. Let me have that one more time. Linkstrategicpartners.com. We've been speaking with Michael Aiken, president of Link Strategic Partners here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com, to learn more about our executive leaders. And we'll be back in a moment right after this break. And your name and organization is? Maura Corbett. I'm CEO of the Glen Echo Group. And tell me, what does the Glen Echo Group do? What are you guys doing? We are a creative communications agency, and we translate high-tech and internet issues so that people don't make dumb laws. So you're, you're trying to make complex things simple. How young were you when you were making complex things simple? Uh, I would probably say I was born into it as the oldest of eight and the oldest of 35 first cousins. What are you talking about? Tell me more. It was a lot of coalition building and telling good stories to get people to do stuff. What are you talking about? Uh, that's pretty much what it is. 
Mm -hmm. Give me an an example of your childhood when you were making things simpler, coalition building. What are you talking about? Uh, I was the deputy mom, so I had to get everybody to do their chores. So I had to weave a tail to make sure everybody did what they needed to do before my mother came home and killed us. So you're, so basically, as opposed to going ahead and dictating or telling people what they have to do, your nature is to go ahead and build the team. What's that have to do with what you do nowadays, building this team? That's everything I do every day. What do you day. mean? Um, what are you talking about? Uh, we believe very strongly that it's about the we, not the I. And if you're an I person, don't show up mm-hmm. because we won't work with you. Mm-hmm. We are good people doing good things. And that's our mantra. Is this, so you're, so you're a communications firm. Correct. Uh-huh. And are you talking about, so these are the teammates, you're certain kind of teammates, but there's also certain kind of clients you like. Correct. We are uh-huh. very picky about our clients. Uh-huh. What's the website address of this organization? Um, Let me have that one more time. GlennEchoGroup.com. GlennEchoGroup.com. We would speak with Mark Corbett, CEO of Glen Echo Group here on Executive Leaders. Don't forget to visit our website, ExecutiveLeadersRadio.com. To learn more about our executive leaders, and we'll be back in a moment. Don't go away. And your name and organization is? Gary Altman, Altman and Associates. And what do you guys do? We are an estate planning law firm that does wills, trust, probate, and trust administration. How young were you when this kind of stuff showed up in your blood? Well, probably very young. Uh, my parents really didn't talk much to each other when I was a young kid, and um, I had to sort of take care of everyone and everything. What are you talking about? Well, my mother tried to commit suicide when she was seven, when I was 17 and I saved her, um, got people to the house. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandfather died at about the same time and my father had to take over his business and didn't really understand what he was doing. Mm-hmm. So your nature is the plan, isn't it? Yes, correct. I'm trying to plan for all contingencies. Oh, isn't that what you do for a living? Yes, correct. What are you talking about? Tell me more. So, you know, you can imagine someone has a business. They want to make sure it gets passed on to their kids the right way, or they have a child who has some sort of problems, drug abuse or special needs, and you want to make sure that their assets are inherited in a way that's going to be protected from creditors, bad marriages, bad spending habits, um, state taxes, income taxes, anything. Mm Mm-hmm. You're really built to do your job. I mean, you're not, this is not something that is different than who you are. This really is who you are from an early age. It's got bled right into you. Am I correct about that or am I mistaken? No, you're absolutely correct. Um, You know, when my um, grandmother died, her estate was pretty screwed up. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, so I see how it didn't work out well. What's what's the website address for your organization? Uh, Altmanassociates.net. Let me have that one more time. AltmanAssociates.net. We've been speaking with Gary Altman, Principal Attorney with Altman and Associates here on Executive Leaders Radio. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen, and we'd like to introduce Adrian Rich, Managing Principal, Simple Technology Solutions. Adrian, what is Simple Technology Solutions? What are you guys doing? Uh, we provide cloud and uh, software development solutions for federal agencies. Uh-huh. Where are you from originally? Uh, Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, how many brothers and sisters, where were you in the pecking order? Uh, I'm the eldest of three boys. Uh-huh. And what was going on with you when you were eight to 14 ish? Eight to 14, um, was working around the neighborhood. Um, um, just were you, focused on you grew up in a fancy dancy neighborhood. No, no, I actually grew up in uh, Northeast Baltimore, mm-hmm. uh, a neighborhood that was kind of teetering 
on. Um, mm -hmm. What were you telling me about poverty meals? Why were you familiar with poverty meals? Uh, well, we jokingly called it poverty meals uh, because um, we ate um, certain types of food that I would not eat today. Like, like what? Like bologna, oh. American cheese. Why uh, were you eating Amer Why were you eating bologna and American cheese? It was what my parents could afford at the time. Uh -huh. uh, it was the of our diet. Uh huh. How young? How young were you when you? Uh, how many, How young were you when you started making money? What did you do to make money? Uh, 13, 14, uh, first job was a newspaper route in uh, the neighborhood. What else did you do? Um, went on to uh, work fast food. I worked some retail. I did mm -hmm. just about everything until I went uh -huh. off to college. And tell me, what, what did you do different in any of those gigs that would give us a sense of who you were and who you are? Well, uh, at the time, um, the friends I had in the neighborhood, I was the only one that was working. Um, so it was somewhat different because I didn't see any of my friends out there doing the same things that I was. What were they doing? Uh, well, they were engaged in, um, you know, doing. Um, how, were, how were they making money, Adrian? They were making money uh, peddling illicit drugs and doing things of that nature. At the so time. why weren't you doing that, Adrian? Because uh, my parents were having none of it. Um, they were very, very on top of their, uh -huh. their voice and kept us on track. Ah, so if you had done that, you would have been in a lot of trouble with your parents. A world of hurt. Okay, I just wanted to make sure I understood. Wendy? How do you connect what you did back then to what your mission space is now, working with Department of Homeland Security and the things that you do? Yeah, so, um, you know, we've graduated into, um, or I've graduated into having to focus on law enforcement, on doing things to protect and make safe the homeland. Um, and I especially like seeing the fruit of what our company produces when I'm flying or you know traveling overseas and so on and so forth. So it's, it's a powerful connector. Mm -hmm. Hank? When you were in school, you played sports, I think football. What was your role on the team? I was team captain. Was that something that you got because you were the fastest kid? I wasn't the fastest, but uh, I was the strongest in terms of helping to drive the performance of our overall team. No, and no so did you question. step up one day and say, I'm the captain? No, my, uh, my teammates elected me into that role. Uh, what, is that, what does that role of being the captain have to do with running an organization like Simple Technical Solutions? Yeah, so it's the same uh, cadre of skills and tools that you use in order to... What do you uh, mean? Well, you have to drive a collection of folks to produce an outcome. And it's the same thing on the football field that it is in, in my current business life as well. Mm -hmm. Thomas? Adrian, what did mom do and what did dad do? Uh, mom was a school, public school administrator. Uh, dad, for the bulk of my childhood, uh, sold insurance. And, and who are you more like? Uh, I would say I am more like my dad. Um, my dad had... Way. Well, he had some pretty powerful gifts in terms of being able to connect with people. Uh, we affectionately called him the unofficial mayor of Baltimore uh, because any and everywhere we went in Baltimore, he just could strike up a conversation and engage people at a level that was just pretty impressive. Is that a skill set that you utilize or how do you utilize that skill set as the, uh, the CEO of your company? Uh, absolutely. Um, it's all about making connections with people, finding out what motivates them, finding out how to move the needle for it, uh, leveraging the collective strength of, of, of a team. 
but you can't just be charismatic, right? You've got to have a discipline and an intensity. You, you spoke earlier about your mother working as a school administrator. What did she install in you that you bring to your work? Yeah, you just nailed it. Um, my mom was very intense. Um, she had tremendous skills in terms of connecting with people as well, but she she worked effectively through others, and mm -hmm. she instilled that in, in myself and my brothers as, as well. Andrew? Adrian, who is your biggest role model other than mom and dad? And, and talk to me about this phrase you mentioned in the green room, uh, art of the possible. Yeah, I would say it was um, a high school administrator um, that discovered me when I was a middle school uh, student in Northeast Baltimore and uh, helped me to uh, attend a Jesuit high school in uh, Towson, Maryland. And uh, tell, me, tell me more about that. So, um, when I went to high school, I, I was exposed to just the other side of the tracks. I saw how people were living that were separate, uh, much different than in my neighborhood. And it actually made me aware of the fact that there was a, a different life out there beyond what I was um, experiencing and seeing you know, in my neighborhood per se. So this, this was that concept of uh, you learning about the art of what's possible. Absolutely. Exposure was everything. And uh, this gentleman helped to put me in a different setting that allowed me to see that there's a different world out there, a much broader world out there. Life changing. John? So you went from poverty, eating bologna sandwiches to fast food and retail, and then you got three degrees from three different colleges, including Hopkins and William and Mary. Now you're a successful businessman. How did you pull that off? Um, perseverance. Um, I had tremendous role models in my life, you know, from my parents to that uh, high school administrator that I talked about. It was just all about keeping my nose to the grindstone to persevere through whatever challenges that we've encountered. Thomas? Well, yeah, Adrian, I was going to say there's an element of creativity that you're alluding to, which is that the, the, your role model opened you and expanded your horizons on what was possible. Uh, talk to us a little bit about how you bring that to uh, to work every day and how that impacts how you shape leading the, the organization. Yeah, I, I think when you have a vision for what is possible, uh, the creative part comes in, how do you get there? And right. I, I see everything as kind of like a three-dimensional chessboard. Um, and it's all about how you actually construct a path forward in, in order to bring that vision into reality. Wendy? And are you sitting? I was say, are you set your ways? No. <laughs> no, Wendy. What kind of advice would you give to other kids that are growing up now in, in Baltimore that might have the same kind of situation that you had growing up? How could you make it different from them? Absolutely, um, it's a much bigger world than in Baltimore City, um, and it's you really have to push yourself to see the art of the possible. It's not just about what's immediately around you, Hank. You were telling us in the green room about playing sports and you said you had to step out in faith. What role does faith have in what you do today? Um, when you own a business, you inherently are taking on tremendous risk. Um, most people will kind of look at you askance and, you know, like, why are you doing that? Uh, faith is the only thing that, that, that sustains you, that makes it, you know, something that is actually doable. How young were you when you got exposed to faith? Well, what did that look like back then? Um, my parents are both pastors. Um, so faith, 
you know, from a religious perspective has been an integral part of my life from, from inception. So what, what do your parents, your parents as pastors have to do with you being the um, managing principal of simple technology solutions? What's the connection there? It's all about leading people. Um, I, I see them in their ministry, leading people, uh, being resources, servant leaders in their everyday lives. And I aspire to do the same in, in what I'm seeking to build. But you're the CEO. You don't have to do that in business, do you? Uh, if you are leading and you look back and there's no one following, you're not a very effective leader. Um, you have to actually bring people along. They have to want to be there and they have to want to believe in the person that they're following. Are you talking about being the captain of the football team? Are you talking about your parents as pastors? Or are you talking about yourself as being the managing principal? They're all the same. I just wanted to make sure I understood. Well, what's the uh, what's the website address of um, this organization, Simple Technology Solutions? So it's keepitsts.com. Let me have that one more time. Keepitsts.com. Speaking with Adrian Rich, Managing Principal, Simple Technology Solutions here on Executive Leaders Radio. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. And your name is? Ramon Parker. And Ramon, the name of the organization? Loudon Free Clinic. And you were telling me there's some, something special about the Loudon Free Clinic where every dollar that goes in does something else. What was that all about? Yeah, it does something magical. So for every dollar that's donated to our clinic, we can deliver $8 worth of care. And what kind of clinic is this? Who are, you, who are you helping out? What kind of stuff do you guys do? So we're helping out those who are 18 to 64 who are uninsured and low income, 200% or below the federal poverty level. And give me this thing about the math again. Give me how that works. So essentially, I have a, a staff of 12 individuals and 128 volunteers. So with that kind of payer mix, I'm able to deliver you know, anywhere from $8 uh, in care for our patients. Because you've been able to enroll the support of so many volunteers, you're actually keeping the cost of health care down and therefore multiplying the dollars. And making one of, it, one of the best business investments for private corporations who want to invest. And didn't, ah, interesting. So private businesses and individuals can get involved. And didn't you Absolutely. tell me you had a couple of health care challenges yourself? What were they? I have. I've had four open heart surgeries, and mm -hmm. it helps me to understand what patients need. What are you talking about? What do you mean? So the idea of having been on the table or being a patient, I'm able to take a patient focus in how we deliver care differently than most people would. What did you, what did you learn from those experiences personally? What do you appreciate that most of us don't? I appreciate consistency. Um, I think that a, a staff at the hospital, nurses, providers, mm -hmm. parents, mm -hmm. family, all those people consistently being around me and consistently offering me hope. Uh, I'm so full of it that I have to offer that to the patients and to the staff when I'm working with them. What's the website address for the Loudon Free Clinic? Loudonfreeclinic.org. Let me have that one more time. L-O-U-D-O-U-N freeclinic.org. We've been speaking with your name again? Ramon Parker. And this has been your business spotlight. Thank you. You now can recognize your deserving business advisors on our nation's leading Business with Heart radio show, executiveleadersradio.com. Yes, recognize, you can recognize your deserving business advisors on our nation's leading Business with Heart radio show, executiveleadersradio.com. Simply visit executiveleadersradio.com, securely enter their info, and we'll reach out to spotlight your deserving business advisors on our nation's leading Business with Heart radio show, executiveleadersradio.com. Don't wait. This radio and online social media 
and search engine exposure is quite valuable to your advisors. Yes, this radio and online social media exposure is free and quite valuable to your business advisors who deserve to be recognized. Visit executiveleadersradio.com now to nominate your deserving business advisors. Back, you're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Father John Ensler, who is the president and CEO of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Washington. Father, what is Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Washington? What are you guys doing? We say we're the most comprehensive social service ace in the Washington area after the government. We have uh, about uh, 900 employees, so 140,000 people a year. The budget is just uh, shy of $100 million. We have 7,000 volunteers all working from behalf of those in need. Wow. Where, where are you from and how many brothers and sisters? I'm from Bethesda, Maryland. I have uh, eight sisters and four brothers. I'm the oldest boy after five girls. So there's 13 kids in your family and you're the oldest boy, huh? I guess correct. Uh-huh. Wendy? Father, how young were you when you started organizing? Probably around 13 or 14. Because you had such a large family, and now you're running such a large organization, what do you take from the family you grew up in and use every day as you work through your organization? I watched how my mom and dad dealt with a number of children. For instance, so the older children were responsible for watching sometimes the younger ones. One of my sisters even took care of me when I was little. When I was three or four, I slept in the same bed with her. She was probably 12 or so. This was the way that she got me dressed in the morning. And you also saw how basically we did the dishes all the dishes, how the older ones did the, uh, the real tough work, the pans, pots and pans, and the younger ones cleared the table. It's just the way we did things and got a sense of organizations. So that was very important there. And then we got out of the house a little bit, you begin to realize that to get things done, the same skills were necessary to make things happen. That's excellent. And, and how young were you when you started being creative? I think again, about the same time, we had a, a local pool and tennis courts down the street, and we were given the franchise, very cheap franchise, to run this uh, snack bar. It was about a $2,000 a year business, summer business. Uh, and I had to figure out how to make the money. And one thing I realized right away was if people work for me, I had to pay them, I was losing money. So I would work every day of the summer between 11 and 9 every single day, seven days a week. Because if I did it myself, the money stayed in my pocket, went out, I had to pay somebody to do it for me. That's excellent. So and, you, learned and about, you learned about working hard. I mean, you, you didn't take any shortcuts. You learned about working hard as a young kid, didn't you? Well, if you, if you really wanted to be successful in the sense of make this little enterprise work, the harder you work, the more, the more success you had. Uh-huh. Okay. I just want to make sure I understood. Hank? You told us uh, growing up you played tennis. What was your role on the team? Well, you, it, when you play for a high school or, or, or college, you, you start out when you're the youngest, the freshman, as one of the sixth or seventh players you move up the ladder so by the time I was a senior number one in both places high school and college number one player and then always become the captain almost naturally because you're the number one player in the team. So as the captain what are the personality traits that are important to be a captain? Well I think number one you're probably the best player at that point on the team. Uh, secondly you are uh, look to be the leader in terms of setting the tone for travel to different places when to play um, what kind of dress you might wear what kind of you know, dress code there might be from the school and also kind of just um, setting the tone sometimes as to, you know, lose your temper. It's not the behavior we want, things like that. So working your way up, setting the tone for others, helping younger players and being the best player in the team. What does that have to do with running Catholic charities for Washington, D.C.? I think for me, it's finding 
the people who can make it work, the right COO, the right CFO, the right CDO, and then pull those talents together and making sure that we succeed in our, in our efforts. So the number one goal is take care of people in need. Mm-hmm. The answer is say yes every time you can say yes. Andrew? Father, your role today is uh, slightly different from your role as you know, when you served as pastor, beloved pastor of three different parishes. Is, is listening to others still part of your core? Absolutely. I think, you know, why I am a kind of a businessman right now with Catholic Cherries, run a business, big business. I'm still a priest who's called to take care of people's needs. So I still do a lot of baptisms, a lot of funerals, a lot of weddings, a lot of interact with people. It's what I think gives me the strength to keep doing the good work I do with Catholic Cherries as well. And you mentioned uh, it, it is a large business, large responsibility, and uh, fundraising is a significant part of that organization and uh, your world. Uh, how, how young were you when you realized you needed to start raising money? Again, I think it, with, with the little business we ran, just figuring out how to be successful there. But once the was first ordained a priest, we had to realize you want to make this successful, where are the resources? How do you make it work? And I learned that, again, maybe 25 years old, my first assignment, but since then, Frankly, been able to raise millions of dollars, really tens of millions of dollars in different projects. Thomas? Father John, what did mom and what did dad do growing up? My dad was a speechwriter for the Department of Agriculture. My mom was a stay-at-home mom taking care of a big, large family. And the journey you've been on is an interesting one. And anyone that's a man of faith become the position that you've been in has an interesting path to get there. The question that we wanted to ask today is, when did you first witness this power of the selflessness and selfless acts that got you to where you are today? I remember one particular story. I was probably six or seven, maybe eight years old. With my sisters going to go out, actually going to church. We had, out to, we had a little Volkswagen bus. Before we got in the car, my dad stopped. Guy came down the street, wanted to talk to him, and, and back I watched him talk back and forth. I watched my father take his coat off and give it to the man. And I was shocked by that. My dad went back inside, got another coat, uh, another coat. He came back in the car. I said, Dad, what happened there? He says, Well, the guy was cold. Well, Dad, you gave him your coat. The guy was cold. End of the story. But the point to- is, with one of uh, with you being one of thirteen children. And the Volkswagen bus didn't sound like mom and dad had a lot of money, but yet dad gave his coat away. What's, what's that all about? What'd you learn from that? The call to serve, the call to give back, the call to appreciate your blessings, and the call to make sure that anybody who's less fortunate is taken care of. Tell me more about that. There's, more, there's some more stuff in there that I think I need to hear. Tell me more about that stuff. Well, I think my father was a very, very special man, but he also just, he lived the faith. He didn't just talk about it. He lived it. He saw need, he, he responded. And I think that's in my DNA now. I'm supposed to call, do the same thing when people come to me. My goal every day, every day is one thing, that I help somebody today. I can't change the whole world. I can't change even the Washington area completely. I can sure try, but that I help somebody today. If I did that today, I did it well, I've had a good day. So what's, day. so what's in your DNA? Give me that again. Service, servant leadership, giving back, making sure people in need are taken care of. Just wanted to make sure I understood. John? Father, you're obviously a man of many talents. Um, what inspired you to go to St. Mary's Cemetery, sem- Seminary? I think basically I grew up with the idea of seeing some role models of the priests, but really ducking that. I didn't want to become a priest when I was younger. I didn't want to do that. It was not what people did. But I had the sense that God was calling me, the sense that this idea wouldn't go away. So about mid-time of college, I said, I've got to figure this out. I decided to enter the seminary. 
and went to Mount St. Mary's. Wait, what do you mean you got the sense? What are you, what are you talking about? Well, you, you have this, you know, you, you have inside of you, but inside your soul, you have a sense that there's something God wants you to do, something that God really wants you to do. And I would say after 47 years as a priest, clearly God called me and clearly I made the right choice. So this was an, in, this was an instinct you had? This was a feeling that you had? It comes out of prayer. I mean, it comes out of, you know, sense, a sense of, of God actually being involved in your life in a sense that, in this case that uh, I was being asked to do something that didn't really want to do in some ways, but then realize it's what God wanted and the happiness comes from that. Hank? So you're, you've been working with people and you're dealing with a crisis situation today with COVID-19. What is your faith doing to help you instill confidence in others, especially in your organization and the people that you serve? Well, first of all, I have a great belief we'll come out of this mess. Um, I don't know the date, but we're going to come out of it. And we'll be stronger in some ways, stronger in terms of connectivity, stronger in terms of communication, stronger in terms of helping each other. I think across the board it's going to happen. But also my role right now, I think, in many ways, is to be a great cheerleader. You know, our staff is wearing out. We have 800 beds every night. We're serving, you know, about 2.5 million meals a year usually, but maybe less now because of the different things. But because of that, are they getting tired? Are they getting worn out? They're on the front lines. And being for them a cheerleader that says, you are superstars. You're mission-driven. You're superstars. Keep it up. Do a great job. And I think I hear from people, they get a great sense that I'm with them on this road, but also I'm sure encouraging them to keep doing the work. It sounds to me like and what that, you're doing is, is, is recognizing your team as opposed to, well, it could be cheerleading, but you're simply just recognizing their efforts. Right. Well, you know, I'm one of 900 people. And what they do on the, on the, direct line, on the front lines is I would say heroic to amazing, and you're right. I'm, I'm recognizing their gifts and talents. Let them know how much I appreciate those gifts. Uh, what's the website address of uh, Catholic Charities? CatholicCharitiesDC.org. We've been speaking with Father John Ensler, President and CEO of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Washington. Here on Executive Leaders Radio, don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com, to learn more about our executive leaders. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. And your name is? Chuck Ockeltree. And Chuck, what organization are you with? The National Conference Center and West Belmont Place Event Center. Uh-huh. And what makes this organization special? The National Conference Center was built um, to be the nation's premier uh, meeting and event venue. Um, it's not a traditional hotel. Mm-hmm. So even though we have 900 guest rooms and all the services and amenities of a traditional hotel, mm-hmm. because of our size, mm-hmm. we're able to uh, deliver um, an environment that is very conducive to uh, learning, development. And who are your clients? Our clients are uh, many of the, the corporate 100, corporate 500, as well as uh, because of our location in Leesburg, Virginia, mm-hmm. we do a lot of business with Washington, D.C. Uh, government agencies. Mm-hmm. And what do you like about your job? What I like about uh, is we've had the opportunity to bring new leadership to the National Conference Center, blend with the tremendous service team that's built a reputation over the years uh, for great service. And uh, we've had a lot of fun um, helping our clients take advantage of the 65-acre campus. How about you personally? What what do you enjoy about your job? I enjoy that that we've uh, had a very, very, very successful turnaround in Mm -hmm. uh, the two and a half years, Mm -hmm. uh, taking the National Conference Center uh, from where it was in mm-hmm. 2014 with Excellent. the new, new ownership, we've literally doubled the revenue. And what's, so. your, what's your role in the organization again? Uh, my role is chief marketing officer. And what's which that mean? It, good question. It means that uh, 
Uh, we're involved with branding, mm -hmm. uh, everything to do with the sales, the marketing, the promotion, and um, the business development. So you're actually going out there and you're actually involved with helping bring in the clients. Exactly, yes. And I guess the way you're doing that is you're actually talking to a lot of the clients, making sure that you know your services are valuable. We talk to a lot of the clients and we do a lot of uh, events What's as well. What's the website address of the organization? www.conferencecenter.com. Let me have that one more time www.conferencecenter.com. This has been your business spotlight. Recognize your deserving business advisors on our nation's leading business with heart radio show, Executive Leaders Radio. Yes, recognize, you can recognize your deserving business advisors on our nation's leading business with heart radio show, executiveleadersradio.com. Simply visit executiveleadersradio.com securely enter their info and we'll reach out to spotlight your deserving business advisors on our nation's leading business with heart radio show executiveleadersradio.com don't wait this radio and online social media and search engine exposure is quite valuable yes this radio and online social media and search engine exposure is quite valuable to your business advisors who deserve to be recognized visit executiveleadersradio.com now to nominate your deserving business advisors for free exposure. I'm Tina Leone. I'm the CEO of the Boston Business Improvement District. And what is the Boston Business Improvement District? We work to attract, support, and connect the most compelling, creative, and ambitious minds in our region. Boston is known as an epicenter for research and discovery. Uh, some of the greatest things that are invented, such as the MRI, the barcode, the internet, the first satellite, all were either conceived, funded, or developed by organizations here in Boston. How, how old is this organization? We're just, just shy of six years old. How long have you been there? How long have you been uh, there? Almost six years as well. Did you found this organization? Yes, I, I am the founding CEO. Why did you do that? Well, they, they, the organization actually came about uh, by the commercial property owners in why, Boston. Why, why, why does it turn you on? Why does your gig turn you on? <laughs> people. I mean, we the, the, the ability to connect people and then who knows the next great idea is going to result from that. We have incredible minds in the Washington, D.C. area, and Boston is, as I said, the epicenter for the smartest people in this area. So your job, you're like the master connector. I feel like the mayor of, of Boston, the mayor of innovation, because that's uh -huh. what's happening. So your, idea, your, your thought is that in order to create more stuff, in order to launch more businesses, in order to cause more good, it's a matter of connecting exactly. the right people. Exactly. And you like being in the middle of all that I, stuff. Oh, we love it. We love it. And simple things, just connecting people through events, through art, uh, through a happy hour. Mm -hmm. You don't know what's going to come out of that. Mm -hmm. That's what's exciting. So it's all about the people. And you're the uh, you're the founder of this organization. Is this a nine-to-five kind of job oh, for you? Oh, hell no. It's a lot longer uh -huh. than that, baby. So do you have, to, you have to work the weekends and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, sure, sure. Let me have the website address of this sure, organization. Sure, balsambid.com, and, and you can download Boston Connect mobile app. Let me have, uh, let me have that website address one more Balsambid. time. Balsambid.com. It's B-A, give me the spelling on that. B-A-L-L-S-T-O-N-B-I-D.com. Excellent. Your name again is? Tina Leone. And the name of the organization? Is the Balsam Business Improvement District. And this has been your business spotlight back in a moment. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. And we'd like to introduce Scott Harvard, CEO of First Bank Virginia. Scott, what is First Bank Virginia? Uh, First Bank Virginia is a 113-year-old community bank with 14 branches serving from Winchester, Virginia to Richmond, Virginia. And uh, how many brothers and sisters do you have, and where are you in the pecking order? I am in the middle of three children. Uh-huh. Tell us a little bit about what kind of sports did you play, 8 to 14-ish, and uh, your role and what you did, and a little bit. Tell us a little bit about you. 
So I did, uh, I swam competitively. I, I love to play sports of all kinds, but I was a competitive swimmer from probably age eight to age 17, uh, three practices a day, 8 a.m., 2 p.m., and 7 p.m., uh, working hard to, to try to be successful at it. So, uh, so your nature is pretty competitive, pretty intense is what I'm picking up. Am I right about that? It, it seems like I'm guilty as charged, yes. Uh-huh. But on the other hand, in the green room when we were talking and hanging out, you told me that you fell in love with the community bank. What's the connection there? I don't understand that. What's that all about? Well, uh, in running a community bank, you can, uh, you can be successful, uh, be competitive with, with uh, other, other community bankers and other providers. But what you really get to do is make an impact on your community and make a difference in people's lives, whether it's your customers or your communities or your employees. And it really feels good. Hmm. Okie dokie. Hank? You uh, told us that you were captain of the wrestling team. What did you, what, what does that role involve? What did you do to build the team? So as uh, captain of the wrestling team, you, you sometimes will, I guess, default to that as the, as the senior team member. If you're a, a good enough wrestler, maybe you earn it that way. And I probably had a combination of both. And I really was a cheerleader. You're a coach for the team. You're coaching folks up. You're trying to set an example with hard work. Uh, and you're really, uh, you're really showing them, uh, showing them what it takes to be the best. What does that have to do with what you do today in leading First Bank of Virginia? It's, um, it's almost identical, really. It's about coaching your people. It's about being a cheerleader. It's about picking them up when they're down. It's also about setting a strong example that, uh, and working as hard as they are or a little bit harder uh, so they know that you're in the boat with them. How does that relate to your clients? Uh, our clients uh, love to see the same thing, of course, and uh, hopefully we're, I'm demonstrating for my employees and our employees are demonstrating every day. That, Scott, didn't you tell yes, me that you, uh, that there's something that grew, that something about being a middle child that has something to do with how you treat your clients. What was that all about? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a good point. I was, uh, I was pleasing people for attention and trying to achieve for attention as a middle child. So pleasing my customers, um, uh, gets, I guess, would get me attention at the end of the day, but makes me feel good to please my customers and, and my fellow employees. All right, just wanted to make sure I understood. The problem is if you tell us something around here, we bring it back up. Wendy? I know. Hey, Scott, how, how old were you when you first started working? I uh, had a paper route when I was 14 and used to cut grass also. What'd you do with the money? Did you buy a bike? Did you spend it on the little girlfriend or... I, I didn't spend it on candy bars or girlfriends. I actually invested it in a um, in an insurance company in Richmond in their stock. So you were that young, but investing already. I, I was. My father gave me some advice about saving money. He was a child with a depression and uh, said I should save my money. So I invested it in stock. That's awesome. Uh, How long did you hold on to that money, and what'd you do with it? I, uh, I, I put it in a corner and saved it uh, until I was an adult, and I actually added that to some additional money for a down payment on my house. That's so awesome. your, your father talked to you about saving money. Do you think that has anything to do with the fact this is the second bank you've been involved with? <laughs> well, he did, have, he did have an influence on me and, uh, and did encourage savings, and of course, we espouse that every day in the bank, uh, trying to get people to save money, not spend it all. All right, just making sure, Andrew. Yeah, uh, 
so Scott, uh, your father, in addition to being your financial advisor early on, uh, what, what did he do for a living? What did, what did mom do? Uh, he was a real estate appraiser. He worked uh, worked really hard, went to work very early, came home in time for dinner and sometimes out working again. Uh, and my mother was a, a house mom until I was about uh, 12 or 13. And then she went to work for the legislature in Virginia. What do you take from mom and what do you take from dad to First Bank Virginia? So from my, from my father, his work ethic, and uh, somebody mentioned perseverance earlier and uh, just what the sacrifice it takes to be successful and to achieve. Uh, from my mother, it was really uh, kindness and devotion to family and, uh, and being, a, I'll say, a gentle soul in, in spite of being a competitive soul. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Tom. Scott, what does kindness have to do with being uh, the, the head, the CEO of a first bank? As Herb has always asked us and said in the past, you guys are dealing with money and, and uh, aren't you guys supposed to be greedy bankers? Uh, what, what does kindness have to do with this? So uh, community bankers are not as greedy as, uh, as, the, as some people would have you believe. In fact, we've got pretty darn big hearts and uh, it's important for both our employees to see it and, and for our customers to see it. I love it when and I can help the, a customer. Well, what's the correlation between, I noted earlier you said it feels good and then you talk a lot about being the, the child of a depression era parents. What's the correlation between savings and feeling good? Well, that's, uh, you know, that's a good question. I think the correlation uh, between saving and feeling good is that you work hard for the money that you earn. And when you put it aside and save it, you can see it and appreciate it and have it when you actually need it. Mm, that was a great question, Tom. John? Tom, uh, you said you, you are, Scott, you said you like to win. And uh, what does winning look like in community banking? So that's a great question. It's uh, winning in community banking is creating an environment where my employees and my customers and my communities are all able to grow uh, and thrive and in today's world survive. Mm -hmm. And what's your favorite part of your day? You know, my favorite part of my day is when uh, I have an employee that, uh, that, that calls me up and, uh, and, and is excited because they have taken care of a customer who had a problem or who was upset about something, uh, and they've gone above and beyond. We call those powerful actions in our bank, and I get reports on them every month, and uh, I love it when I see those, uh, those daily actions. Mm -hmm. Wendy, what do you Hold us in the you told us in the green room uh, that your dad always came home for dinner. What were those conversations like around the dinner table? What did they have to do with community? You know, it's interesting. I don't think that my family groomed my community view. I think that actually developed as I got into the business early as, at age 30 as a bank CEO. And as part of my job, I was involved in the community and I got to see myself the impact of that. Uh, on me and on the people around me. So I'm, I'm still growing now at my current age and uh, continue to grow, uh, really began growing, I guess, at age eight. Mm -hmm. Wendy, what are you picking up? What's your favorite thing to do for fun? Does it involve being out in the community? Uh, I love being out in the community, but it's probably uh, my favorite thing is to, is to be out doing volunteer work in my community with the United Way and other organizations that, uh, that are involved. I also enjoy being a high-performance uh, instructor for Porsche Club. So I still enjoy coaching people and watching people grow and 
uh, and and evolve and grow behind the wheel of a car. It's a lot of fun. So you have this uh, you have this uh, community thing going on, but you've also got the swimming and this um, Porsche thing going on, the individual piece to you as well. Am I correct about that? Yes, you are, and I, that maybe that comes from being a wrestler, where the, where you're out there on your own and 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 working hard uh, and either making it or failing, uh, stand alone. How's but that? How's that lend itself? How's that willingness to compete individually? How's that lend itself to the growth of this first Sterling Bank, uh, first Bank of Virginia? Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think only in, in the foundation that it built, which was understanding that you have to make sacrifices and work really hard to achieve what you're going to achieve, whether it's impact on your community or have a profitable banking company. Uh, I think that's really the, the bigger takeaway for me. So you're, you've got this willingness to put yourself on the line and do whatever it takes from the swimming, the wrestling, and the Porsche club. On the other hand, it really feels good for you to be engaged in a community bank, especially when somebody comes in, when one of the team members comes in and tells you how they were able to help the community. What's the website address of First Bank Virginia? The website is fbvirginia.com. Let me have that one more time. fbvirginia.com. We've been speaking with Scott Harvard, CEO of First Bank Virginia here on Executive Leaders Radio. And uh, Andrew, could you give us a rundown of who else we've had the opportunity of hanging out with today? Sure. First, we spoke with Michael Aiken, president of Link Strategic Partners, followed by Adrian Rich, managing principal of Simple Technology Solutions. Then we spoke to Father John Ensler, president and CEO of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Washington. And last, Scott Harvard, CEO, First Bank, Virginia. Excellent. I'd like to thank my co-hosts, including John Yetman, Association for Enterprise Growth, Joe Applebaum, Potomac Companies, Andrew Howard, Howard Insurance, Hank Boyer, Boyer Management, Wendy Kessel, CFO Restart, and Tom McBride Crested for giving me a hand structuring the questions. Hopefully providing our listening audience an educational, entertaining show. I'd like to thank our listening audience for listening. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a radio show. Don't forget to visit our website. It's executiveleadersradio.com. To learn more about our executive leaders, thank you for joining us today and do have a nice day. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Executive Leaders Radio, the region's premier radio show highlighting local executive leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the show here on 1500 AM. You can learn more about Executive Leaders Radio by visiting executiveleadersradio.com or tune in next time right here on 1500 AM. That's executiveleadersradio.com.